I was walking through the halls of a Minnesota rink When along came a wild fan who started talking smack to me He said, I bet you never like the blues until they won a cup and So I calmly turned to him and said, hey man, listen up I admit it's pretty great to win Lord Stanley's prize But listen, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life Yes sir, I'm a blues fan, yes sir, I'm a blues fan Heartbreak's all I knew, man, that team from old St. Lou, man Got a cup in here, 52, man, give me a let's go blues I know Jackman, Johnson, Eastwood, Backman, Waite, Walt, Hanzoos, Nastrick, Jansen, Boys Young, Jammer King, Salvador, Korea, Brewer Lowe, Pollock, Finley, Turk, Sanya, Buganecki, Jay McKee, McDonald, Mellon, Buchanan, Kavanaugh, Mason, Manny, Stillman, Stepniak, McClement. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Heartbreak's all I knew, man. That team from old St. Lou, man. Got a cup in year 52, man. So give me a let's go blues. <laughs> The starting lineup for your Blue Notes podcast. Tom Franklin and the man called Wags. Thank you, Mr. Calhoun, and hello and welcome to Blue Notes, located on the best city on the Mississippi, the best in the Midwest. We've got that Stanley Cup power too sweet to be sour. And if you're still clueless, we're talking about St. Louis. This is your home for St. Louis Blues coverage on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Tom Franklin, and I'm joined, as always, by my comrade, the man called Wags. And Wags, um, how you doing? I mean, I, I, this is a welfare check. How, how are you doing? I, I'm, I'm doing okay now. It's It's been a rough, oh, 48, 72 hours since Friday night. Uh, I'm making it. How about you, good sir? Well, my liver is currently day-to-day right now. Um, that's because I've been having to cope with uh, what happened Friday night. And, yeah, let's just, let's just, let's, let's not talk too much about it because it's one game out of 56, right? And um, we're going to forget about it in no time. It's going to be fine, guys. It is going to be just perfectly fine. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, we are uh, available all over social media. Wags, why don't you tell us where they can find us? Yeah, make sure you guys follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Blue, Note- Blue Notes Pod. You can also find us on Instagram and on YouTube. Make sure you hit the bell on YouTube to subscribe so you can find out whenever we're on because we're going to have a lot of great content coming at you now that hockey season is in full swing. And make sure you give us a rating on uh, uh, iTunes or any of the other podcast networks that you find us on because without that... It's going to be hard for us to get this out to other Blues fans, and we want them to hear this as well. So make sure you guys like, subscribe, rate on all those networks because it is awesome. Hit that bell, please. I want to hear the ding. Yes, hear it. Yeah, exactly. Ring that bell so you know that when we are on uh, on, on YouTube every single time. Uh, for instance, you know, if you're watching us uh, live uh, at 8.30 Sunday night, I said 8.30 because we are starting a little bit later today just for some logistical reasons. Um, but, you know, if you ring if you ring the bell on YouTube, you will know we are streaming at 8.30 and not 6.30 this week. So uh, welcome, uh, whether you're listening to us live or uh, listening to us on the podcast available on Monday, wherever you get your podcasts from. So we first have some uh, news to uh, drop uh, along here. If you're watching us, you're uh, noticing on top of uh, 
the screen here that's uh, we have DraftKings uh, on top of our screen, and that is because we want to introduce them as our new partner uh, for Blue Notes and the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, we'll tell you a little later on how you can get a free shot at millions of dollars of prizes with UFC 257 coming up uh, this weekend all through DraftKings. So we are happy to start our relationship with them. Uh, coming up this episode, a look ahead to the Blues Sharks two-game home set this week. We're going to have Nick Floor of the Stick Hungry podcast on with us. The Blues, uh, this will be the uh, home opener for the Blues uh, Monday night. They host uh, the Sharks at 7 o'clock local time. And then they'll play at 8 o'clock Wednesday night uh, at Enterprise Center. So um be interesting to see how uh, Enterprise Center sounds this year because they are going to have some fans wags, but uh, it's going to be like, I think, 300 max. Yeah, 300, but it's going to be frontline workers, healthcare workers, all that stuff. So a, a really good group of people coming in. Yeah. They've done their, their work and their diligence to make sure that this is set up to be safe but also enjoyable for these people that have put in some long, hard hours during this pandemic. So it's going to be great to see fans in the stands. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how it sounds and how yep. things look. Yeah, exactly. And I'm really glad that those frontline workers are getting a chance at uh, hockey first. And it's going to be like their own personal show of yep. hockey. you know. And hopefully it's some good hockey against the San Jose Sharks team that isn't expected to do a whole lot this year. So uh, we'll see if uh, the Blues can pull out some wins there. Uh, before that, it's our Aloha commentary with Guy, the Y Blues fan of stlfanreport.com. This week, he brings along his friend, the disgruntled Blues fan, representing all of those rational uh, online St. Louis Blues, you know, posters from like the SDL Today boards and those guys. So uh, I'm, it's going to be great. Uh, he's coming along here in just a little bit. But first, you know, after Friday, we all need we all need to put a smile on our face. And uh, well, who better to do that than the man that brings us our intro music every single week? Uh, teriyaki fingers, Luke Widbin. And in case you're still wondering just what the hell happened Friday night in Colorado, we're still trying to figure that out. I don't know what sobriety is um, after uh, Friday, but uh, uh, let's try to have a fun spin on the calamitous events of Friday night. MC Widbin is here with his latest lyrical masterpiece. And today he drops a fat beat on the fat beating the Blues took Friday night. And they're much better first game as well. So without further ado, Luke, take it away. Welcome back to the Ice of Blues are one and one But I bet you think that worse after the last one was done Now you can jump if you wanna, but not so fast Let's do the last one first, and the first one last Holy, what a game, how do you even explain the ineptitude Except if you remembered my claim that Colorado is the best team in the NHL Then maybe you can score eight goals if we don't play well Number one, the altitude is no one's friend Unless you train in it all season, guess it's possible then Number two, play in the game with only five defense Can someone please Explain how Blade was bad, but not that offense. Number three, even though I felt Bortz had a rough game one, he's a strong defensive mind who covers lots for Vince Dunn. Speaking of defense, number four, how do you suggest we win a game when any team gets seven chances to impress with the man advantage, especially when the man is Nate McKinnon, and advantage when it's even, so there's no chance you'll be winning. Billy Huso was so-so, but it's hard to blame him. What a shame when you come in the game and the rest of the team are no-shows. We couldn't make a pass, couldn't get a shot. Pink thought the ice would stick. He's somehow only in our spots. No excuses, the Blues just suck. But when you lose by one or eight, it's still just one loss. 
Remember Wednesday? Let's think about that. Things are pretty different when the team ain't flat. They got down early, but I think there's a theme. If you stay out of the box, you keep your record clean. Suffocate the breakout, force a bad pass. Head back the other way, place in the back of the net. Hoffman couldn't play, so who can we turn to? Well, everything's sunny when Oscar plays line two. Kairu, tic-tac-toe. We even got a goal from the big red dog. Bennington was great, he made the big saves We kept the shots outside, and none in the lane Their stars had no power, and we won by three That's the game we play, if we play as a team So chin up, Blues fans, there's more hockey ahead We got two against the Sharks, and that's one fish that's dead You know, we've had many different forms of Luke Widbin in our uh, time with him. We've had the country music star Luke Widbin. We've had interpretive dancer Luke Widbin. Uh, we have had candle in the rear Luke Widbin. That right there. I don't know what I love more about that rap than some of the lines that he dropped, like whoso was so-so. And uh, uh, it's always sunny when uh, Sunny plays on line two. Um, or, or the fact that I just realized when I played that right now, the beat is yep. let's go. The, the blues go marching in. I, Luke, if you're if you're listening and watching, and I know you are, don't change that beat for the rest of the season. This is going to be a Sunday feature on this uh, podcast this season. He's gonna he's gonna drop a new one every single week. That's perfect, Luke. Don't change it. It's yeah, I, I didn't realize it the first time I heard it. I didn't hear yeah. that either. And then just now, I was like, wait a second. I know. Holy cow, that works so perfectly. It, yeah, you have to keep it. And, and and were you like me and, you know, as he was rapping along, imagining him in front of a crowd like an eight mile, just, you know, dropping a beat like that, you know, with, you know, B-Rabbit, Eminem next to him? Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, him and actually Bugs Bunny, too, because, you know, they, they have that kind of thing going on as well. Bugs Bunny and Eminem on either side of him. That's that's the picture. It, it, I could just see him rocking back and forth doing it. Well, we are definitely going to share that. It's on YouTube. He has it unlisted at the time of this recording, but he'll make it public. We will share that. Please follow him on YouTube. The guy is a lyrical genius, and we are so damn lucky to have him here. He is awesome. So thank you very much, uh, MC Widbin, for that one. Um, well, for a more fleshed-out description of what happened Friday, um, we first of all, I don't think we can match Luke in terms no. of, you know, in, in his description of it, especially not within two minutes. Uh, but we did speak to Tell It As It Is uh, podcast, so it's Griffin Young's, uh, about the Blues Ave series and Wags. This will be our only statement on the record about the second game because, quite frankly, I don't feel like talking about it again. Nope. Time to put it out of our misery. One conversation, statement, done, move on to the next. And here is that statement. We're going to, before we take it out back and, you know, behind the woodshed and put a bullet in its head, here it is, our appearance on the Tell It As It Is podcast. We've been dancing around it a little bit oh, for God. a few minutes now. Oh, God. So, no. Fine, I think, let's do it. Let's do it. I think it's time we got into it. The Avs 8 nothing victory over the St. Louis Blues in game two, all but wiping away any concerns that Avs Where's my bottle of Jack Daniels? Hey, you got my bottle of Jack Daniels in there? I need it now. Thank you. Go ahead. Just about wiping away any concerns that the Avs had after that rough first game. So I wanted to ask you What guys, do you mean I'm developing a problem? You're not going to give it to me? <laughs> uh, what? All right. We'll talk later. All right, go ahead. 
So I got to ask you guys, what the hell happened after that first period? I know the Avs took control in that first period and Bennington played very well in the first 20 minutes, but what the hell happened after that? Do you think it was the Avs were that good or were the Blues playing that bad? Uh, both. <laughs> it, it, it really came down. I mean, it was penalties. That was a big, big piece. You know, you're wearing down some of your best players because they're out on the, the ice for so many penalty kill opportunities. Just a complete breakdown of, you know, play. The amount of times that uh, there was an avalanche player and a good avalanche player wide open in the slot or at the side of the net or just about anywhere on the ice, it was just a complete breakdown by the Blues defensively. And it was because the guys that you have out there are just so damn good. You can't give them any room or any space or any time. Landis Scott's first goal, he was shocked that he had as much time as he actually did. And I think it was really just a combination of all of that. It was, stars were aligning for, for the Avalanche when it came to having their guys at the right place at the right time. And it was a complete breakdown by the Blues of just not playing their game. And maybe the, the atmosphere caught up to them. Their legs were, were shot. You can put all the excuses out there. But Ryan O'Reilly said it plain and simple after the game. They were just embarrassed. The team was embarrassed. They didn't play the way that they're normally used to playing. And that's what happened. And, and the, the Avalanche capitalized. And you just got to chalk it up as, hey, you guys put on a clinic. And now we're both one and one. Yeah, and it's I think the, the way this season is structured where you have all these back-to-back games, it is going to give teams who maybe get busted in the chops in the first game a chance to, you know, re-strategize and re- reconfigure how they come out for the second game. Because now you've gotten a look at the other team. You know what to expect. And you can you can go ahead and act accordingly. And I think that's a, really a lot of what the abs did on Friday night was they obviously figured out, you know, what was working for the Blues. Maybe the Blues were a little overconfident coming into that first game. You know, like I said, feeling like King Kong, you know, after that first game, you know, they kind of, you know, may have come back to bite them a little bit because the Blues didn't really change, you know, really much except adding Mike Hoffman to that lineup. Um, and, you know, he he obviously needs some time with more time with Robert Thomas to, you know, fully gel because we didn't get really he was kind of invisible out there Friday night, like a lot of blues, honestly. Um, and then the other issue I really felt that dog, the blues and, and wax kind of touched up on it is, you know, one of the side effects of having a physical team is that you do draw penalties, you know, from from time to time, some nights more than others. And the blues had their fair share of penalties on Friday night. And as we learned Friday night, don't give the Avs too many power plays because of those eight goals, five were on the power play. That is redonkulous. So, yeah, it's it's I'm not saying that the Blues need to like really ease up, but they got to play smarter against a team like Colorado, because if they're if the Blues go into the penalty box too much, they will get burned. It, it's it's quite obvious, and it's not just and it's not 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 that their PK is necessarily bad. I just think it is you know as you kind of pointed out, the Avs have an incredible top six. They have a wealth of talent, and this is a team that you do not hand the keys to a power play to. You just don't do that. Absolutely, the Avs had seven power plays in that game and scored on five of them, which from what I remember ties a franchise record. And, and can it, it's got to be an NHL record almost. I mean, five I out of seven, so. that's an epic night. Yeah. I mean, do you guys remember the last time there was an eight-goal deficit for a win? The one well, I can think of off the top of my head is uh, when the Habs crushed the Red Wings a few years ago, 10-1. to 1. 
But well, I I know this was the third worst loss for the Blues in regulation. The second, I there was a there was another loss in 1996 against the Canucks that was just as bad, if not worse. And then I think there was like one back in the early 70s. That kind of gives you context of how prolific the Blues' loss was. There, they 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 don't usually lose like this. This is completely out of left field. This was, I believe, the biggest margin of an Avalanche win since 1995, when the Avalanche, just after they moved, knocked off the Sharks 12 to two, and the first time they won by more than eight in a shutout since they were the Nordiques, I believe, in the 80s. They beat the North Stars eight to nothing that night. So it's been, it's been a while, and. I don't think we're going to see a score like that on either side again this season. I think that, I think it was a perfect storm of maybe the Blues coming in a little overconfident, the Avs responding well to being punched in the mouth and just everything working for them. It seemed like yeah. every shot they were taking ended up going in the net. Now I have to ask you guys, are you concerned about Jordan Bennington and Vili Husso as your goaltending tandem? Because that got rough after the first I- period. I'm not concerned about Bennington. It wasn't, I'm, this was not a Bennington game, you know, that you can point the finger at him and say, well, he sucked, you know, no, it was the team that sucked around him. Um, he Bennington, you know, did everything he could to keep the blues in this game and in, in the first period. And I felt going into that intermission, it's like, okay, this team better have a response in the second period, because this is a house of cards that are just waiting to fall over and unfortunately, Bennington is not Patrick Waugh. He is not Dominic Hasek. He is not Ken Dryden. He is Jordan Bennington, who is a good but not elite goaltender that can steal a game like this. Not that not that even Waugh or Dryden would have had much luck, you know, I feel, against uh, the Avs Friday night. They just executed in every which way possible, and the Blues gave them every chance to execute they could by taking stupid penalties. Um, Huso, I, 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 I will admit something here. I... I watched the first goal that Husso allowed where he, um, Darren Pang had made a comment just like a second or two before where he said, oh, well, Billy Husso is a very patient goaltender. So what happens is Billy Husso gets caught on the uh, far side post and he leaves a wide open net for Nazem Kadri. And it, it, right, he looked very patient. He looked very patient, you know, getting back into the crease and trying to stop that, that goal, not. Um, and that's about all I could stand. And I, I didn't watch WandaVision, but I, I think I went to bed right after that just because it was just going to be shaping up to one of those nights. So I'm a little, uh, as, as, as Luke Whitbin said in his rap this week, uh, who so was so, so, you know, at best, you know, and I think he was being kind. Um, I'm not going to write him off after one game because I think Friday, as you said, was kind of a perfect storm of events that happened. And that's not the greatest situation to give a young net, netminder his first NHL exposure against, uh, you know, but if he like chokes against like say the Kings or the Sharks or someone that's on, a, that's a bottom feeder, then I'll be concerned, but it's, it's too early for that. It's game two out of 56. So I think, I think Bennington will be okay. Jury's still out on who. So that's, that's where I stand. Well, we were worried about Bennington after last year's games in Colorado, when he basically got pulled in both of them because he, gave up a ton of goals and then Wednesday night came around and he put up a great game in Colorado. So I think that allayed some people's fears on what Bennington was going to be able to do, especially against Colorado. It, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't even Huso's fault in a sense against Colorado on Friday night. It's it just poor team play. 
And it's Huso's first experience in the NHL. Uh, The guy was probably nervous beyond belief. He is now the primary backup to a guy that doesn't necessarily fully control the number one spot. Uh, We were worried going into the season about this tandem because we weren't sure what to expect. Bennington, yes, has won the Stanley Cup, but, you know, looking back at it now, you can sit there and say, hey, he he profiles maybe closer to a guy like J.S. Jaguar, where he went on a magical run with Anaheim and got them there and then was a good goalie after that, but never really anything spectacular. And that could be what's going on. And when they traded Jake Allen to Montreal, we all thought that was a precursor to Alex Petrangelo being re-signed. Well, if they never had any intention of re-signing Petrangelo, why would you get rid of one of the best backups in the league and bring up a guy like Huso to be the backup? So we, we were a little worried going into this season what that was going to look like. And to, to have that be the, uh, the first taste you get of the Bennington-Huso combo isn't good. But just like Tom, I'm not going to write him off just yet. Let, let him get into a start against San Jose or L.A., see what he can do in that role. And then maybe we can make another judgment in a couple of weeks to see what we've got in Billy Huso. I definitely think Armstrong moved Jake Allen because he was worried about the cap situation this offseason. And even still, you know, even though, you know, Petro isn't back and even with Krug in um, and Hoffman in, you know, you're still in a situation where you almost had the LTIR Tarasenko as well um, to, you know, get yourself under the cap. Thankfully, they didn't have to do that. They just had LTIR Steen. But if Steen was still playing this year, then you're really screwed financially. You don't get Mike Hoffman and you almost have to move Jake Allen at that point in, in his salary. And that's so it's just you're going from a four point three five million dollar backup to a seven hundred thousand dollar backup or whatever who so makes. So that's really the, the entire thing there was financial with the side of, you know, who has been a guy that's been in the. Uh, organization for a long time. He's been always kind of at the precipice of the NHL. It feels like it, a couple of years ago, it felt like he was going to be the next one, you know, as, you know, when Jake Allen was having his yips and his moments of doubt and shame. Um, and then the only reason Bennington got called up in the cup year was because Huso was hurt. So um, that's kind of one of those, always going to be one of those, what could have been type of a story there, but you know, you had, you know, who's getting hurt. And then last season, who's was just kind of okay in the AHL. And I think the blues are kind of, were in a point of like, okay, we need kind of like the same point with Cairo really, although probably even more. So they need to see what they have in Billy. Who's so they need to see if he's going to cut in the NHL and if not cut bait and move on. And that's, that's sadly, that's kind of, that's kind of, it's not, it's not the greatest situation for who's to be in right now, but it is what it is. And thanks again, Griffin, for uh, that conversation. You can check out uh, more of our interview with him at the Tell It As It Is podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. We talked a lot more uh, with him as well. It was a really good hour-long chat just about uh, – we talked a little bit about the, the Sammy Blaze suspension as well. He's out for two games. Of course, Natushin gets nothing for Bertuzzo because reasons – and um, it was it was just a really well fleshed out conversation, not just about the Blues and Abs, but about hockey as well. So I know I'm saying this because you may be reluctant to hear the Colorado Avalanche side of things after what happened Friday, but I insist you go check out that podcast. Griffin is a very reasonable, intelligent fan. He's not going to rub it in our faces. He didn't when we talked to him, and we had a good talk just about other things besides the Blues and Abs. So it's a really good conversation. You, sh- you should check out. Yeah, and I, I posted last week uh, when we did our show with him 
when we put it out there, it's hard to hate a team when the people that are associated with it are really good people. Griffin is one of those people. Uh, we're going to talk with Nick Floor here in a little bit, and he's another one of those that you're like, I, I don't like the team, but the people that cover it, the people that are around it and associated with it, when they're good people, it's hard to to really have that hatred in your body. And yeah, the conversation was just absolutely phenomenal. We went longer than we expected, and it just felt so natural. And uh, before we, uh, we also have the Aloha commentary coming up as well. That'll be coming up right after we tell you about our new partner, DraftKings. The return we all have been waiting for is finally here. One of the sport's most notorious icons is stepping into the octagon this Saturday. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the UFC, is giving you a free shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with first deposit. And if you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is easy to play. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget about football playoffs, where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs this weekend. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. And download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the weekend. That's promo code THPN to get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right. And Nick Floor, the Sick Hungry Podcast, joins us for our Blue Notes face-off of the week. That's still to come. But first, without further ado, here is this week's Aloha commentary featuring the disgruntled Blues fan. And now, from Honolulu, Hawaii, via St. Louis, starting in the Pacific Ocean, Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan. Aloha, Blue Notes Podcast. I'm Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, host of the Blue Note Fan Report, and author and creator of the St. Louis FanReport.com, and this is my Aloha. Okay, 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 stop. That's enough of his trippy bullshit. There's no way I'm going to let him blow sunshine up your asses. Who am I? I'm disgruntled, pissed off blues fan. And I got to tell you, that was an absolute nightmare to watch, that debacle. How do you, I don't get it, how do you come out on Wednesday and play the perfect game and show everybody who you are and two days later come out and lay an egg like that? Oh my God. And then, here's the worst part of it. The worst part of it is the referees. Okay, I know, you should never blame a game on the referees. But how do you whistle Sammy Blaze in the first game for brushing up against the guy's face? And then when a guy hits Portuzo in the numbers and slams his head into the glass, you say that's a legal hit. You suspend Blaze, but you don't do anything here. NHL Player Safety Committee. Yep. Right there, baby. Right there. You can smack it. I don't get it. I never will. The, 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 the commission, I'll tell you what. You want to fix this player safety commission and you really want to make it worth something? Third party. 
get it away from the league, have a third party who come in, look at the rules, and then, based on that, move forward. Let's get the league away from it. You do that, and then I'll start accepting what they put out. Till then, they can right there, baby. And you know what? The Blues are at home. They are playing the next four games against the Kings and the Ducks. If they don't get a minimum of six points out of this, we're in trouble already. And yes, I'm saying that because right after the Ducks, after next week's Aloha commentary, they're playing the, the Knights. A perennial, everybody thinks will be second. Uh-uh. Come out, kick the crap out of the Ducks, kick the crap out of the Sharks. Oh, I said Kingsville, I meant Sharks. Oh, I'm sorry. See, I'm so upset. I can't even get the teams right. Now, you know what? This is a disgruntled, pissed-off Blues fan, and I'm throwing it back to you guys and that idiot so he can blow sunshine up your ass. I'm done. Out of here. Well, Tom and Wags, it's back to you. Keep those chins up. You know, our boys are playing their home opener on Monday, and they're going to go. Let's go, Blues. Let's go, Blues. Let's go, Blues. It's this guy, the Y Blues fan. Saying aloha, mahalo, please like us and subscribe and I can't wait to see you again on Aloha Commentary on the Blue No Fan Report. And please like my articles on stlfanreport.com. Aloha. What is up, everybody? Mikey CLT here from Bar Down Breakdown, letting you know that our 100th episode is going to be dropping exclusively on the Hockey Podcast Network on January 27th. We will be joined by special guest Derek from the amazing pop punk band State Champs. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on all our socials so you do not miss any of our amazing episodes we are so pumped that we have made it to episode 100 and to thank you we are running an instagram contest where one lucky winner can win a steez brand snapback hat so head over to our instagram and enter our contest also if you are just hearing about bar down breakdown make sure you go and check out our 99 other episodes where we have had artists who have been nominated for grammys all the way down to artists who are unsigned, where we dive into the crossover between alternative music and hockey. So make sure you go and check out Bar Down Breakdown wherever you listen to podcasts, brought to you exclusively by the Hockey Podcast Network. It's the Blue Notes Face-Off of the Week! And that beautiful NHL 94 music means it is time once again for our Blue Notes face-off of the week. And the Blues have the San Jose Sharks coming up this week. A couple of games uh, to start off the week. Hopefully they're palate cleansers after 
what happened in Colorado. We will not speak any more of that. Um, let's go ahead and welcome our guest from the Stick Hungry podcast. He is Nick Floor. Nick, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great, guys. How you guys doing? Well, you, you know, we, we've been better. I think I think we're getting better, Wags. I think we're starting to put this behind us a little bit. Just, you know, one one alcoholic beverage at a time. Um, I think we're going to be okay, Wags. I think yeah, we're going to be yeah, okay. The, the hazy cloud is starting to diminish a little bit. I'm coming out of the uh, the drunkenness phase of Friday nights. And uh, I think we're ready to go for, for the games against the Sharks. Well, speak for yourself. I'm still drunk. I forgot what sobriety <laughs> feels like. So, uh, <laughs> on that note, um, the Sharks... Uh, let's go ahead and talk about uh, San Jose, kind of get to know the Sharks a little bit. For those that uh, here in St. Louis that don't get to stay up late and watch Sharks games uh, very often. Uh, the Sharks come into the season after kind of a disastrous 2019-20 campaign. Uh, not many people expecting much out of San Jose this year. Are even San Jose fans expecting much out of San Jose this season? Uh, you get a bit of a mixed crowd. Essentially, what happens is you have the truthers who are like, "Okay, this team isn't as good as they were the last four years. We got it. We understand where we're at. Uh, there's no way we can be as bad as we were last year, right? Right, guys." And then you have the delusional fans or the hardcore fanatics that are like, "This is just a hiccup. We're gonna bounce back. We're gonna go to the playoffs and we're gonna win the Stanley Cup." So, as per usual, it's a mixed crowd. But I, I would have to side with the truthers on this one. I don't think there's any way the Sharks do another bottom three finish this year. But I do expect them to be a fringe playoff team just slipping out of the playoffs. Ooh, and uh, yeah, we did not have that same sentiment, unfortunately. <laughs> we, got them, <laughs> we got them in the bottom two of our rankings. But yeah. you guys still have a lot of really good players on the team. So, you know, yeah. uh, we, we can't really fault you for thinking that way. Yeah, it's... Uh, being able to dive deep into the team personally and see what has happened behind the scenes as opposed to what is shown in the media, I'm able to kind of make a little bit more of an analytical or hypothetical guess as to what the Sharks are going to be this season. And uh, yes, it's only been a couple of games in, but there are some good signs and there are some bad signs, um, which has kind of led me to believe that the Sharks are going to be that middle of the pack kind of team, that league average team this year. I will say it's a lot more likely that the Sharks and not the Kings are that middle of the pack team with, you know, Anaheim and Minnesota and Arizona, um, because you still have some talent on your team. It's just it's just um, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of non-talent as well, unfortunately. We've become very top heavy. If you take a look at the the cap distribution percentage as well as what the line combinations have become, we got a very good line on the hurdle line we have a semi-decent can be good can be bad couture line and then the rest is a uh let's see what we can throw on the wall and see what <laughs> sticks so yeah Bl blues uh went through that in the mid-2000s but that was kind of all four lines uh the, <laughs> the, the, the sharks did face uh our future central division foes and current thorns in our side uh arizona you split the series with a 4-3 shootout win and a 5-3 loss uh were you guys encouraged at all by their performance you know, Arizona came out with a a bit of a, a jump that we didn't have, and I kind of attribute that to the long offseason. We expected it going into the game, going into the different matchups. Uh, I, I want to say it's going to take about a dozen games before that we can actually see what the Sharks are going to be as a team. But there were a lot of uh, a lot of good things on the Sharks' end and a lot of good things that the Coyotes kind of threw at us. And they, they really tested us, and they played a lot better than we did in that in our victory, and we played better than they did, and their victory which is kind of weird but you know that's <laughs> hockey right 
Well, I think it's fair to say, Wags, that the Blues played better than the Avs in the first game, and the Blues did not play better than the Avs in the second game. So we can't say the same ourselves. No, no. Fair assessment. And by the way, by the way, Nick, be afraid of the Avs. Be be really, really afraid of the Avs because they're really good. I picked them as the cup winner this year and the overall consensus number one in the West. So I am very deathly afraid of the Colorado McKinnons. Yeah, the, exactly. McKinnon, best player in hockey, by the way. But that's, uh, you know what? Actually, you, let let let's let's have that chat. That's I think McKinnon. I think I think McKinnon is, in terms of skill and overall talent, I think he's a great offensive talent. I think he's a very good defensive talent, which is something McDavid is not. I think McKinnon is the best player today. What do you think? I agree entirely. I actually what? kind of uh, I think that dry sidles better than mcdavid Ooh, i'm ducking (laughs) that's that's a personal opinion from the games that i've seen being in the same division as them over the last five six years it's it's evident that dry sidle has a better defensive game than Connor mcdavid and coming off of a heart trophy winning season i feel like dry sidles really put himself at that sort of level of okay wait a minute he's actually really freaking good Maybe he's better, but I mean, it's McDavid. You're going to get a lot of people slandering me in the comments section on any videos or podcast comment sections for that, but and I will course, die on that hill. And of course, McKinnon also has the uh, trophy of being the best bargain in hockey, you know, with that that silly contract that he signed. How dare he? Tom Brady <laughs> for the football yeah. fans out why, there. How dare why, he enable that? Why can't he be more like Eric Carlson and, you know, to sign a big contract and then get play 30 games a year. Um, Wags, what what do you think? McKinnon best, or you still prefer McDavid? Uh, I mean, after seeing McKinnon as much as I have, I I cannot disagree with you. I mean, McDavid does make players around him better offensively for the most part. I mean, look at Pat Maroon. His highest goal total of the season was playing on the McDavid line. So you could probably attribute that to people, you know, covering McDavid and Maroon being wide open in front of the net. (laughs) Uh, And highlight real goals, Nobody is better with the stick than McDavid, probably. I mean, McKinnon's has some pretty sweet goals as well. But when you're talking about overall what this guy does for the team, you talk about his contract. You talk about his defensive prowess. I mean, he does everything to the best degree possible. And that's what you want in the best player, someone that can be an all-around good player. And that's what Nathan McKinnon, and he's humble about it too. I'm not sitting there saying McDavid's out there every night spewing his greatness, but there's something about him that makes you go, yeah. Whereas you look at McKinnon, you're like, yeah, he's on the opposing team, but I'd, I'd sit down and have a beer with him. He seems like a normal, everyday kind of guy. He just happens to be one of the best players on the planet. By the way, if you happen to be from the greater Toronto area, we made no mention of Austin Matthews in this previous conversation. Continuing you talk, on. You can't, you can't talk about porn on the internet, right? No, no, no. No, I mean, even though THPN lets us swear, I think they pump the brakes at pornography, you know, here you know, here in the network. So, um, all right, back on topic here. Um, you, you kind of alluded to it, Nick. You had an even longer offseason than the Blues did and many other teams because, of course, the Sharks didn't make the bubble. Um, Ten months between hockey how agonizing was that just as a fan and did you have to pick up any new hobbies to fill the void you know 
maybe if there wasn't a pandemic, I would have been able to pick up a hockey or a different hobby per se, other than watching hockey. Um, I, my entire time has been occupied by my son, thankfully. So there you uh, go. Any hobbies that are done, we do together. So he's a hell of an Uno player. I'll just let you know that now he turns three in a couple days and he just, he kills it in Uno. I don't understand it. I'll never get it. So that was my hobby board games. Well, I can tell you for me, filling the void for me, uh, I found a group that plays Dungeons and Dragons, and we we that was how I kind of got through that no sports void there for a while. Which, you know, we'll have to, you know, I, I feel that's going to be a time period that gets glossed over time because for the longest time, no sports anywhere, and it was it was it was it was very tough. Of course, Wags, you didn't have to worry about filling the void because I saw your Star Wars collection earlier today, and. Uh, You've had plenty of Star Wars to keep you company this year, so. Yeah, I've got, what, uh, like 150 of the books. I've got probably, I don't know, 20 of the Lego sets and the movies and the TV series. So, yeah, Star Wars uh, occupied my life pretty much during that that pandemic, but also work. (laughs) I mean, just because, uh, you know, everybody else is in a pandemic, it didn't feel like I was, you know, 45 hours plus a week at the job. Uh, Yeah, I I filled the void pretty well. And, And speaking of filling the void, the Sharks tried to fill that net void uh, by picking up Devin Dubnik from the wild. However, Martin Jones got the first two starts. Uh, does Dubnik take over eventually? And do you guys have any faith in your net miners this year? Um, faith is all you can have at this point in time. So <laughs> there's that. I don't think the Devnik, the Devin Dubnik acquisition was a fill the void. I think it was a light of fire type of move. If you look at Martin Jones's past, whenever it's kind of two-sided in a sense. Whenever he has competition in net, i.e. Jonathan Quick on the Kings, he plays better. Even a little bit of James Reimer during the 2016 Cup run. So hopefully the Devin Dubnik acquisition lights a bit of a fire under Jones's butt and gets him kind of back on his horse. Another thing is Martin Jones's best numbers came out of him not taking on 85% of the workload. So you bring in Devin Dubnik, which a lot of other teams as well did in the NHL, where now we're running that goalie tandem situation. Uh, You bring in Devin Dubnik to kind of run maybe a 60-40, 65-35 split with them to see how things go. And then you go as time goes on throughout the season, you figure out who the true number one is. Now, Martin Jones had the quote-unquote better camp and by better camp i mean he didn't allow seven goals in the final scrimmage so uh he had the better camp so he got the first start the sharks defense did what the sharks defense always does or does which is didn't play defense and hung him out to dry a little bit in the first couple of games Uh, a couple of little floozy stops he could have made here and there but i feel like the martin jones start in game one was evident of camp the game two was start was evident from his play in game one. And then the benching was, you know what? We're down two goals. Let's maybe throw in Devin Dubnik with 10 minutes left in the third. See how this goes. And, you know, they didn't lay over. They didn't kind of give in, which was nice to see from a, a player or from a fan's perspective. So we'll see how the tandem kind of goes moving forward. And we kind of had that in St. Louis here with Jake Allen. He was a guy that thrived when he had competition, but when it was his time, did not do so well. And I, I guess there, there have been some comparisons in the past of, of a Martin Jones and Jake Allen kind of being sort of the same kind of goaltender. I mean, I don't know if that's something you guys have ever heard, but just hearing you talk about it, that jumps right to my mind that he is Jake Allen esque. Yeah. It gives you something to relate to essentially is something that you've experienced the trauma of not having a true one, a goaltender or one <laughs> number one goaltender. So that has been the sharks uh, like MO for the last 15 years, ever since Nabokov has been out of net. So 
one of these days we'll find a true netminder. One of these days. You know, that's what we kept saying over the years, Wags, is one of these days we'll find our netminder. Turns out we had him all along. We just banished him in the minors. You know, a guy named Jordan Bennington. Uh, turns out when you actually give goaltenders a chance, uh, they can surprise you sometimes. Although I don't know how many more chances Billy Huso will get after uh, Friday night. Moving on, we said we're not going to talk about Friday night. So we're <laughs> let's get back to happy stuff. Let's get back to positive talk here. So you have uh, in your employee the grizzled veteran Patrick Marlowe. He's returning to the Sharks. He's one of the last 90s players in the entire league that actually played in the 90s. Always respect those guys. Um, just what does Patrick Marlowe mean to this organization? And like, where does he rank among the great sharks of all time? Cause you've had, you've had quite a few. Yeah. Um, Patrick Marlowe is called Mr. San Jose shark for a reason. We drafted him first overall. Uh, you might've heard of the guy who was taken shortly after Joe Thornton. Now he plays oh, for yeah. some wackadoo team up in Canada, but, um, <laughs> Patrick Marlowe is the original San Jose shark. You know, it's, he has been like the lifeblood of this team. He's been the rock that held the, the team together. He's not so much the vocal guy in the locker room and, and it shows, but he's always been there. It's like a couple of things you can count on death taxes and Patrick Marlowe playing for the sharks. So <laughs> seeing him go for the uh, all time games played record is going to be, uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be great to watch again. It, that just means that there's another young guy who won't get to play for the Sharks. But you know what? In a season like now where it's viewed more of a transitional season for the Sharks, let's see what we got type of thing. You're not really kicking yourself in the butt, you know, allowing him to break that record for us. So it's as far as ranking as the Sharks of all time goes, each person is going to have their own point of view about that. Me coming later into the organization, I loved Joe Thornton. He was my first jersey. He had the personality that I wanted to see kind of take over the NHL. But I, I want to say from a fan base perspective, Patrick Marlowe would probably rank number one in San Jose Sharks history. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Even though he, we're not the biggest fans of Joe Thornton here in St. Louis after he brained you know David Perron, but uh, we'll we, we've. <laughs> We've we we're, we're 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 learning to forgive here in St. Louis, that's for sure. Uh, but he kind of you know talking about Marlowe and you know being kind of a Sharks legend. He's not part of the current issue, but uh, you have a lot of players that have been a, been longtime Sharks like Mark Edward Vlasic, uh, Brent Burns, uh, Couture, Kane, and you know with with at least some of those contracts, you could take a look at them and say, well, they're unmovable contracts, they're overpaid contracts. Do you think the Sharks, in some instances, are too loyal to uh, to their uh, players in that regard? You know, ironically enough, this wasn't a problem until after the cup run. Like, the Sharks had a very good recipe for success throughout the 2000s. You know, they win the, the President's Cup, whatever the hell that's worth. Um, they, get up, <laughs> they get bounced out in the first round by Detroit, you know? So, Doug Wilson has found a way to keep guys around on team-friendly contracts and not overcommit to handing out long-term deals until the 2016 Cup run. And he just, uh, something happened. I don't know what it was. Too much at the bar or not enough at the bar. He just thought that he he's just going to start handing out these LTDs. And <laughs> now you look at it couple years down the road, it's really starting to bite the guys in the butt. Not necessarily the AAV of the contract, but the clauses that are associated with it. You know, you have full no, no movement clause on a guy like Mark Edward Vlasic for $7 million a year. That is really hurting you on the yeah. back end. And yeah, him and Justin Braun were two, uh, was 
regarded as one of the best shutdown lines in the league. And through that 2016 cup run, they shut down multitudes of first lines. It's just like, like it was elementary for them. But when you devote that much cap percentage, especially in a, a year like this year where the cap didn't adjust up, you essentially handcuff yourself moving forward a couple years into it. And if you look at the Kings, right, division rivalry, they have two cups to show for it. The Sharks don't. You don't have an issue handing out those long-term deals to the guys like Brent Burns and the guys like Evander Kane, Couture, when you have the hardware to show for it. Since the Sharks don't have the hardware to show for it, it leaves a bitter taste in everyone's mouth, and it gets painted and skewed in, in like a wrong complexion. Yeah, well, yeah. I hope I hope we can avoid that here in St. Louis because we gave out a few big contracts after the Cup win as well. We did, but we also didn't is with with Alex Petrangelo. I mean, oh, yeah. Doug Armstrong talked about that specifically about not allowing one guy to kind of handcuff the organization to be above the coach and the and the owner. So well, it makes we sense. We didn't give that money to Petrangelo, but we gave it to Justin Falk. Two thumbs up. <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> he, he, he played okay the first two games. He, sort of? Yeah, we, we 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 didn't have reason to throw tomatoes at him after the first two games, so that that's a plus. That's a plus. If that's your rating only, scale, Yeesh. only only was it seven years left on that? Seven, hey. seven <laughs> long only years. Se- only seven years if we can't, you know, you know, fleece Seattle next year. Well, uh, look, you know, as I said, Seattle's got all the pieces in place to take Justin Falk out of our hands. Uh, Ron Francis was his GM in Carolina, and we Jedi mind trick Jason Botterill into giving us Ryan O'Reilly. So the pieces are there. Believe this could happen, Wags. <laughs> I- I'm going to keep crossing my fingers. Uh, <laughs> well, let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about you. Brought up Logan Couture, and, and you're talking about franchise players. You know, he was a franchise pillar, especially last year. Do you guys attribute the factor to, to their poor performance last year to the loss of Logan Couture? And now, how is this health now? And do you think he'll bring better days back to the Sharks now that he's back in the lineup? You know, I think it was Couture along with multitudes of injuries. You got uh, the continuous grundle groin problem that Eric Carlson has been having for two to three years now. You have Hurdle tearing his ACL, who, in my opinion, is technically more of a 1C than Couture is. Um, as well as the Couture. I think it was a fractured wrist that he had. So when you take, I want to say that's close to 20 to 25% of your salary cap off of the books, and you look at the prospect pool that doesn't exist for the San Jose Sharks because they traded everybody away, specifically to Ottawa, you don't have guys that can come up into those roles and assimilate into those roles in the team and it, it, the, the proof was in the pudding. You look at the record and it shows the Sharks were a bad team because they had a lot of injuries and a lot of down years. So not just the loss of Logan Couture on the year, but the likes of Hurdle and, and Carlson as well attribute to that sort of down year that the Sharks had. Can you see, though, the uh, the playing time that those guys that normally wouldn't have gotten that they got last year? Is that going to be something that will help the Sharks in the next couple of years? You know, guys that weren't going to get to play got to play, got the experience, and maybe they don't play as big a role this year, but it does help them in the next couple of years, right? Yeah, it's actually helping them within the first couple games. We got Noah Greger uh, centering the third line, and he was bounced up and down the lineup due to those injuries last year. So we get to see those younger guys 
get that exposure on the NHL level, which can be classified as a good thing, like you alluded to earlier with Bennington. What's crazy what happens when guys get ice time and the ability to show off you know, their skills, i.e. William Carlson as well for the Vegas Golden Knights. So you, you see the loss of Joe Thornton at the end of this last season, and Noah Gregor's able to kind of just come up hey, I've played in the NHL now a couple of times. Yeah, I looked kind of bad because I was bounced around the lineup, but now I get a cemented role on this team. And you can see how what he has learned last year is being put to great use this year. So it is good in that sense that the Sharks were able to give those younger guys that exposure. Well, one of your key players, I've got to talk about him, Evander Kane and his $27 million debt. Bruh, what, what, what's going on with Evander Kane? You know, I... We we kind of alluded to it a little bit on the last episode, I believe it was last Monday's episode, where we wanted to kind of reiterate to everybody that there's there's two things that everyone has that's personal to them. It's family and finances. So not you know, we're not gonna know the entirety of the situation. People make bad investments all the time. And I think the biggest issue is the fact that Evander Kane isn't necessarily painted in all that great of a picture hasn't been his entire career starting with the uh stacks of hundred dollar bills type of picture <laughs> that he had in las vegas i remember and that yeah that um that wasn't all that great and it, it's funny they reference back to that picture but he was like 19 20 years old and if you showed me pictures of my 19 year old self i'd be like oh my god who is that guy get him the guilty. fuck out of here <laughs> holy crap guilty so i mean some people view this bankruptcy, this chapter seven as a, a bit of an out, like an easy out for someone. And they try to use the pandemic as like a, as an excuse to try to put more onus on him as the person. And in my, in my personal opinion, seeing how people may or may not know how to work with finances, I, I can't tell you what his accountant told him to do. I can't tell you where he was told to invest his money here or there, but to, to try to attack the guy personally is a bit of a low blow in, in my personal opinion. So like if you want to hate Evander Kane, the hockey player, that's fine. Cause yeah, he's a bit of a thorn in everyone's side. Look at what happened to OEL in the last game. He gets yeah. shouldered going into the boards. He follows through with the stick hits the back of his head, which or the side of his head. Then OEL's ear hits the corner of the half boards. And it just looks like a really, really bad hit. And that's just been Evander Kane's entire career essentially in the nhl so if you want to hate evander kane the hockey player for what he does on the ice the whole reeves kane rivalry per se that's fine but for me family and finances is something that you don't really get to necessarily chime in on personally well right and, and in very rare instances in case like this do you even get the chance to chime in on that as a fan and you know it's it's i think Kane, as you kind of pointed out, makes him a target for that kind of a thing just because of, you know, that those fat stacks and his, his you know, some maturity issues he's had over the years. And uh, he's not one of my personal favorite players personally. Um, but it's it's from for me, it, it's not so much like, you know, an indictment on Kane as a you know human being, just as, you know, I look at it as, you know, I go to work every week, you know, 40 hours a week, you know, punching the clock, you know, and I'm lucky to bring home five figures every year. This guy blows through $27 million, you know, in his career and he's bankrupt over that. It just, to me, it's just like the the, the numbers are just eye popping and, and you just end up like, you, you're you just wondering how, yeah, how that, does that's... this happen? That's the big question. Like, who is telling him to invest this money in these places that aren't going to make him money? 
You know, you, yeah. usually you figure if your best friend is Joe Thornton, I'm sure Joe Thornton's got a pretty decent accountant, someone that that's helping him keep money in certain places. So that way he can take care of his family in the long run, you know? So yeah, the biggest question, and I don't think we're ever actually going to get an answer for it. Like you said, is how, like, how did this come to be? Why did he need such a large uh, investment using his own contract as collateral from Centennial Bank? Like, why is this even a thing? when you're making the sort of money that you're essentially making. And we're never going to know the full story until maybe we're able to do a stick hungry podcast interview with him in 10 to 15 years, fingers crossed, you know, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's the only question that you're, that, that you and I can really ask in a situation like this. Like how the hell does that happen? Well, exactly. we, see it all the, we see it all the time with professional athletes, you know, guys that make millions and millions of dollars and they retire from their Jack career. Johnson. Yeah, uh, Jack Johnson, his his own family, you know, built him out of his money. Yeah, it's it just you, you got to sit there and go, OK, what are these agents, these teams, these organizations doing to these young kids that, you know, we don't we don't teach finances in high school anymore. And, and I think yeah. that's that's really what it comes down to is it's not necessarily what these players are doing. It's it's what society around it has led them to be a part of and that's just something we all have to kind of maybe look in the mirror and go okay what do we do and what can we do to help these guys and you yeah you're sitting there saying how do we help multimillionaires they're, they're still human beings and that's really what it comes down to and if you can't find sympathy to, to help a human being that might be something we need to look at as well yeah i i, I draw major comparisons to like the josh gordon incidents with in the NFL yep. where there's certain people that just want to take jabs at people from behind keyboards for some reason. Whereas the biggest problem that we should be alluding to, like you said, Wags is what do we have to do as a society to help like prevent this from happening, like moving forward? Well, right. And, you know, for me, you know, one of the answers is disincentivizing debt, you know, to where because debt itself is its own industry. You know, the whole credit industry is is just massive and gigantic. And until and until you disincentivize that, you know, it's going to be hard to, you know, fall in those pitfalls. I mean, I think all of us, you know, at one point in our lives go into some debt at some level. So, you know, it just you, you really can't fault Kane so much, especially if he's getting bad advice. I mean, you know, one thing Cujo, uh, Curtis Joseph, talks about in his book was when he got his first big contract, you know, how everyone and their mother is like coming up to him and saying, I have an investment idea, you know, invest in my business, invest in my whatever. And he needed to, you know, have a professional accountant hired. Like I was like his first hire when he got into the pros just to kind of govern his finances to say, OK, this is what you, you should spend on. This is what you shouldn't. I don't know what advice Kane got. I don't know if he got any advice at all whatsoever. Um, but, you know, for me, that seems like a, you know, a, you almost kind of need people like Kane to fail in order to convince people, okay, maybe I should be smart when I sign my first pro contract. Otherwise, I don't want to be another Vander Kane or Jack Johnson. Yeah, that's 100% agree with that. All right, let's go back to it. Let's, let's get to a, you know, go back to the actual game on ice here. Um, you know, we talked to the guys at uh, the Weekly Nightly Podcast last week. And uh, first of all, you know, the whole Vegas Golden Knights Twitter sphere is an absolute machine. And, you know, the Weekly Nightly guys are a big part of that. They are some of the best chirpers in the uh, THPN family. I can, I, can, I can say that with some malice because they won't stop reminding us about Petro. But, um, you know, one thing they also said was they kind of reiterated, you know, the general Vegas consensus, and that is 
that the Sharks are, you know, their biggest rivals. There's been kind of a budding rivalry over uh, the, you know, first years of their league. Uh, do you consider Vegas to be your biggest rivals, or uh, is there uh, other teams that uh, draw your ire more? You know, if you were to ask me in their inaugural year, I would say no. But I think that that sort of rivalry buds over competition. So yeah. at the 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 essentially the peak of the Sharks' best years between 2016 and 2019 were were also co- they coincided with the Golden Knights' best years because they've been in the league for like a couple years. So I mean, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, they they had a they had some favorable expansion draft rules in my opinion they also had uh the debacle that was the florida fiasco go on with them as well yikes um so yeah i would have to say that they are our biggest rivals currently now it's hard to say that because as i said before competition breeds that sort of rivalry and the sharks they they've already surpassed their apex they're they're done being a great team you know they have to turn the page and start the next chapter and the next chapter is transitioning with the current core of players whereas i see vegas in more of a win now position so while within the last couple of years they have been our biggest rival the rivalry isn't necessarily going to be shown on the ice like it was last year and like it's going to be this year it's going to be a very one-sided rivalry that'll end up dying out much like the sharks and kings rivalry did during the like the 2013 2014 and then the 2015 season as well once the kings won their hardware and their play sort of went down and they start losing the majority of their players the sharks continued on that sort of like trajectory upwards where the king the king sharks rivalry was just kind of brushed off to the side so it's kind of hard to have a like a true rivalry right now with anyone beings that we're in this current state it seems like the coyotes in the wild are going to be our rivals because they're our closest in level of competition but i would have to agree with them hesitantly that they are our biggest <laughs> rivalries biggest rivals sorry yeah and i, I do that. agree with you though about andrew and carlo being the best troll chirpers oh, on twitter especially because carlo. carlo is so great at photoshop so how do i fight that <laughs> and someone i'm gonna hire somebody to make me gifts so that way I can finally chirp back to him and just send him constant pictures of Barkley Goodrow sliding the puck in past uh, Mark Andre Fleury. Don't 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 waste your money on hiring anybody. Get an intern. Oh, yes. there we go. Interns, interns like are great. You think Wags? I love it. <laughs> and, I, and I will say, you know, for for us, I mean, it's it's going to be hard to knock off the Blackhawks as our top rival. But I, I, you know, but with the Blackhawks being down, you know, you 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 could make the argument maybe you know for now the Preds might be just because they always you know like to you know chirp us from their trailer parks, um, you know, in in Nashville. Um, you've got uh, Dallas, who you know I would say is more of a friendly rivalry. I mean, we don't have like any real beef against them. It's just a very competitive rivalry, and I see that with Colorado as well. But uh, yeah, it, it's kind of hard to have a rivalry when the other team is just kind of down and it just like that it kind of it kind of feels like the you know blues blackhawks games lately wags i mean just kind of eh. yeah well, but i mean see, I'll, I'll disagree with you slightly on the colorado thing uh i think the the, the colorado blues rivalry is going to get more intense oh, yeah. and less and less uh fan rivalry like dallas is i, I really think especially with the Cronky connection and all that i think the st louis colorado rivalry is going to be the one that especially after this season is going to be the one that really jumps to the top of the rankings and then you got vegas because of petro and just because it's vegas and they chirp everyone so 
Well, know. I think the, the biggest thing with Vegas is the fact that, so if you look at the St. Louis Blackhawks rivalry, it involves tenure. It's yes. years upon years, decades, dating yep. back to the 70s and the 80s of just constant battles back and forth. That was the Red Wings Sharks when the Red Wings mm -hmm. were in the, the Western Conference. That was literally Jamie Baker's goal to knock off the Detroit Red Wings is the number one seed. And then we get hit with the old switcheroo in 2008. Yep. So that was the tenure that, that created that rivalry, the years yeah. and years and years. Vegas doesn't have tenure. They don't yeah. have that right now. So it's, it's like a sibling rivalry in a sense between the Sharks and the, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. It's like the youngest child against the oldest child per se. Yep, in that sort of division because we've been around and we've put in our time, but this the youngest kid is just getting everything they want no matter what, and yep. they just kick and scream about it, and then they get Petro, and they kick and scream about it, and they get Patches and Stone, and it's like, come on, stop! Like, <laughs> there's, there's nothing that we can do about it, but the rivalry will get better over time. Yeah. Yeah, and it, and it's and then you make a good point there because like when I was growing up, you know, I I actually I hated the Red Wings more than the Hawks just because you have the history there, but then you also just have the fact that the Red Wings like to abuse us in the playoffs, and that's another topic for another day. Um, and then, but you know, now that the Red Wings are in the Eastern Conference, it's kind of like eh, whatever, who cares? And they suck anyway. So, um, and then of course, like in the seventies, the Blues and Flyers, you know, they were in the same division at that point, and. Uh, they had some bloody matches. I mean, you know, the, you had like Terry O'Reilly and the Plaguers, and it was just, you had some wars in the 70s. Tell a guy that's younger than us now about that, and they're like, the Flyers? Why? Why? What? You know, <laughs> they're in the Eastern Conference. Who cares about them? Is, but it, it's is, just, it, a, is it a wing thing? Because you got the wing on the note, and they got the wing on the P. Like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, well, we, we, you know, we had a budding rivalry with San Jose too back in, in the early 2000s. It kind of waned, like you said, when the Blues weren't all that good and it kind of resurfaced here in the last couple of years. Uh, so with the Blues kind of still licking their wounds after Friday night, how do you expect these two games to go with a, a Sharks team that is kind of on the downside? I think you're going to see a, a very physical, of course, I, I think Sammy Blaze still serving that suspension for this game, right? Right, but we've got replacements. Yeah, exactly. Um, the St. Louis Blues and the Sharks community have been painted as headhunters, essentially. Uh, you know, in our fandom, especially in the, uh, the the previous year's playoff run, where you guys absolutely dismantled us. Um, I think it's going to be. You guys are going to be a little surprised. You're going to see a lot faster. That doesn't mean we're going to be in sync, but we're going to be faster with the puck. It's going to be a little bit of a surprise there, um, and I think you guys are going to be coming off of a bit of a I, I, I'll just say it. You guys are going to be pissed off, right? Yeah. And you're going to take it out on the Sharks. And I, I don't necessarily believe it to be a close game unless the Sharks can fix a couple of uh, synchronizing problems right now. They're, as Shang Peng put it, they're failing fast. If you want to be a fast team, that's fine, but you have to play fast as well. The, the, the passes need to be fast and crisp. They can't be behind or to in front because that's where the, the sync essentially becomes out of sync. So... Uh, you're going to see a, a softer and a faster Sharks team. It's not going to be a very physical Sharks team at all. I wouldn't be surprised if we call up a couple of the bigger guys like Curtis Gabriel and Stefan Nason to kind of hold down that fourth line. Uh, we have made a move. We already sent down uh, Yoel Shellman. He got put on waivers today, as a matter of fact. So 
There's a possibility that Frederick Handemark, who's uh, coming over from the Swedish Hockey League, there's a possibility he plays his first gig at uh, fourth line center for us. And he's a bigger, slower guy. So the Sharks are going to try to beef up where they can. Uh, but I still think St. Louis is going to dominate us physically because the Coyotes did it, and you guys are a much more physical team. Well, we 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 hope you're right uh, after Friday, and we hope that uh, this serves as a bit of a palate cleanser for us. But uh, as you said, the Sharks are very physical. They've been physical for years, and uh, they're not going to make it too easy on the Blues. I don't think it's it's. And plus, the Blues have their own, you know, synchronizing issues of their own. I mean. This will be Hoffman's second game as the Blue, and you know I think he and uh, Robert Thomas still need some time to gel. It looks like Baruby is going back to you know what worked before. He kind of really shuffled the lines around to start the season, but now it's like he's going back to what worked before. So we'll see. Who knows? It's it, it, weirder things have happened. So uh, Nick, I want to thank you for being a part of our show today, and uh, tell us where we can find you on social media. You can find myself at Nick Floor underscore on Twitter, and you can find uh, the Stick Hungry podcast at Stick Hungry Pod. All right, Nick. Well, thanks a lot for being a part of Blue Notes today, and I wish you luck the next two games, but not too much. <laughs> thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And we want to thank Nick Floor for that uh, wonderful conversation. And, uh, you know, he he may be, you know, the host of a podcast for a bad team, but uh, uh, we've had we've had nothing but good conversations today between him and Griffin's. Oh, not a doubt. I mean, once again, it just goes back. Good people associated with it. They're knowledgeable, and we're a part of that group now. It's pretty awesome. All right. So, you know, we got Monday nights against San Jose at 7, and then Wednesday night at 8 against San Jose. Uh, for the Thursday episode, we won't be able to recap that second game for you because we have jobs and we have lives, and you know, so... You know, we can't do the overnight thing, unfortunately, but uh, we will uh, have a recap, at least of the first game for you a little bit on Thursday as well. And we'll uh, try to line up another guest from the West Division to give you a uh, preview of what that team has to offer. We've gotten through about half the West Division so far, so uh, we're still getting to learn our new neighbors. And uh, after the Sharks, the Blues take on the Kings, so we might... Uh, bring on Jordy Cunningham of the uh, Kings Den podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network to give us a lowdown on why the Kings are so down in you know the standings in recent years. So, uh, without for, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Blue Notes. I want to thank you for listening and watching because without you, there is no me, there is no Wags, there is no guy the Wyatt Blues fan, there's no Luke Whitbin, and there is no Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Tom Franklin, reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle a reminder that you can follow blue notes on twitter facebook and instagram at blue notes pod i'm the voice of the blues tom calhoun jeremy boyer play us out
You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.